correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here tonight with my friend Steve. Hello Steve. Hello Steve. And how are you this evening? Oh, doing alright. Alright, well, we've got a guest this week, but uh, before we get to that, what's our podcast of the week for this week? Our podcast of the week is The Story Told. Oh, yeah. I like them. That's uh, The Story Told is, well, it's kind of an RPG variety show. It's sort of similar to us in a way, but in some ways not. They focus on a lot of um, a lot of the storyteller system games and a lot of, uh, you know, kind of indie creation stuff. Uh, your hosts are uh, Logan and Griffin, and they talk about a lot of neat stuff. And they also, I think they just started an actual play of Promethean that they alternate with their discussion episodes. So uh, it's a really cool show, some cool people. So uh, you can find that at thestorytold.libson.com. And of course, we'll link it in the show notes like we do every week. Yeah, very cool. So with that, this week, we are joined by Wade Dyer, who if you haven't heard of before, is the creator of the Fragged line of games and happens to have just launched a Kickstarter for the second edition of his kind of, what do you want to call it, flagship game, Fragged Empire. So uh, welcome to me and Steve, Wade. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, I told you this when we were, were chatting before, but uh, actually kind of just stumbled across Fragged all about a year ago, and I don't even know where to start because it's, it's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi game, but I don't think I don't think that really says it's accurate, but it's nowhere near complete. I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very uh, broad-reaching setting, but I, I typically boil it down to just saying it's a post-post-apocalyptic science fiction setting. So there was a big galactic war. This is, and everyone went all mad, Mad Maxi like. This is 100 years after that war when sort of civilization is just restarting. The various species are just now re-emerging into space and reconnecting with each other. So there's a lot of like dawn of a new era, uh, cultural tension, a lot of exploration and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's a super tight sort of flavorsome angle to explain it. Well, yeah, it is. But I mean, like I... Like I said, I saw it and I, and it's been, you know, one of these things where I keep going, man, I, I want to do something with this. And then, you know, so I, I found you have a discord server and I found that. And of course there I find out, oh, I've got a second edition on the way. So I'm like, well, okay, really? Cause I'm, you know, even though I spend a ridiculous amount of money on books to play pretend, <laughs> I'm like, well, if he's coming out with a new edition, I'm not going to just buy the old one. Oh, yeah, yeah def- definitely. This second edition is better than the first edition in a long way, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, I've said a couple of times that the listing page you have for the original Fragged is like the gold standard of what listing pages should look like. You know, the way you have, you know, the themes and this, it's just, I don't know. 
it, it knocked me out and the images are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think, um, so a lot of RPG creators come from a writing background. And my background is actually in graphic design. So I'm very visual communicator. Um, and I think that gives a different flavor to my books than to a lot of other indie RPGs, especially. Okay. Yeah, that makes, I mean, because like they're, they're gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's the, the simply the, the, the best way I can think to describe it is, you know, the artwork, the layout, it's all very thematic, but yeah, I mean, so as we're recording, you, uh, you launched your Kickstarter campaign, what, just about 48 hours ago or 52 days ago? Yes, just a little, a little over the 48 hour mark. I, uh, I woke up this morning and saw that we were 200% funded. So I was very excited about that. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, so that's uh, I was one hundred twenty thousand dollars Australian dollars, so not quite the equivalent in, in American, but yeah, very happy. So, I mean, aside from from the, the the quick pitch you just gave us, like, how do you pitch Frag to people who haven't heard it before? Hmm. Well, this is I, I'll I'll be honest. This is something that I that it's a difficult thing in some ways because it's a new IP. I can't just say, oh, it's Star Wars, but this. It's Star Trek, but this. Like, I'm trying to definitely do my own flavor. So I have a few little blocks of sales pitchy text um, that I can that I sort of can give to people. If I were the the one that I use in my my book, I'll uh, I'll just read that out to you. I feel like it's a pretty concise type thing. Your genetically engineered people are just now returning to the stars to usher in the dawn of a new age. Now is the time to reconnect with other forgotten species, explore war-torn worlds, combat ancient threats, and forge new frontiers. That's kind of my like my my little sales blurb. Um, mm. But it's uh it's very much um so uh the slightly longer version is uh, uh Fract Empire is a post post apocalyptic sci fi setting where your people are just now returning to space following a century of hiding during the aftermath of a galactic war where the Nephilim and their Exion masters successfully defeated the Archons and their servile nations. It's a universe that leans heavily into themes of cultural tension and exploration, with a dash of transhumanism, nation-building, and a hope for a better future. Uh, a typical game of Fragged Empire will see you and your friends take on the role of a character from one of eight core species. Uh, you will join together to form a ragtag band of misfits who travel around the sector in a spaceship taking odd jobs and getting into trouble. And I'd also say some inspirations for it. I'd say sort of, you know, Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, Farscape, the, the Millennium Falcon scenes from Star Wars, and a little of The Expanse. It's kind of that idea of like, you know, misfits have a junkie spaceship going around getting into trouble sort of stuff. And there's a very big leaning into the various species, like... And each of those, like, I've tried to put a lot of effort into making them as evocative and interesting as possible, especially in the second edition. Yeah, well, that's another thing that, as I see it, you don't actually have just plain old humans. No, so humans are actually dead in this world. So the idea is that humans, uh, in the past, they reached a electronic-based technology singularity, which is basically their... Technology got so advanced that it, it kind of like borderlined on magic. Um, and humans developed FTL travel um, and started terraforming worlds and spreading out across the galaxy. But then 
humanity stagnated. It uh, they were basically uh, became isolated. They forgot how to actually run or make the things that they they that they created, and they went into decline. And this is actually we were talking just previously about how you purchased my cyberpunk uh, book, and that that setting is 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 that fall that fall of humanity and. Humanity and this particular faction of humans called the Makers genetically engineered a species to replace humans called the Archons. And so then when humans died out, um, the Archons inherited the keys to their empire, but they didn't want to walk in the footsteps of their creators. So they, they didn't want to focus on electronic tech and exploration. Instead, they became obsessed with the nature of their own creation. So they really went into genetic engineering and became fixated on this idea of creating the perfect species. And so they genetically engineered a lot of different species to be servile to them and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, that's that's kind of the ancient history. So there are no humans um, in this world. They're kind of like humans died out there like this ancient mythical pre-progenitor species to everybody. What I think it's cool, and I, I, it's just kind of not that this doesn't happen in any other games, but it's neat to see someone take this, so to speak, or much of an original approach. I guess is is the best way to to say it, at least in my mind. Yeah, I I really tried to do something. I, I really like to create books that have a feeling of a little bit of freshness about them. I think we all we live in a time with lots of you know, sequels and remakes and um, kind of these big IPs dominating stuff because they're so so much cheaper to produce and so much easier to market. I think there's a bit of a, a desire for people to have something that's a little bit fresh and original, or at least trying to be. Like with a like, and that's something that I'm I'm really trying to do something that feels fresh and nice and a little bit new, but a little bit comfortable at the same time. Like I'm not completely gonzo sort of weird. <laughs> No, but like a lot of this stuff feels just weird enough that it's it's alien, so to speak, but not just like you said, not just gonzo and bizarre. And and I think that's that's a really cool thing. Hmm. Thanks. So before we uh, or maybe I don't know, however we want to do this at some point, I think we we should talk about how your system works, because this is also in addition to being an original world universe setting, it's it's your own game system design and mm-hmm. i'm sure that's you know something that people are going to be curious about is okay so i've got this world but how do i play in it yeah so i was uh i was a uh one of those uh foolish people who took the originality stuff too far and decided to not just do a new setting but uh, i'm gonna do my own rule system as well <laughs> so yeah <laughs> I've, I've gone a bit all in <laughs> so i again from from the title that i have i know it's it's and and you describe it as quote unquote mid crunch. Yeah. But it's it's a fairly simple system I think on the surface with some layers on it that you can kind of add more crunch as you desire is the way it sort of feels to me at least in Cyberpunk. Now I don't know what you've changed for Ooh. for the second edition, but Yeah, okay. So this is um this has been an interesting uh, how to describe my system has always been a little bit tricky for me, but I feel like I'm slowly learning how to articulate it because I I actually don't get a lot of time to in, to play other RPG systems, so I can't quite compare it. 
And so to kind of quote my community, or I feel like I've sort of articulated this well, it's a medium crunch game, but they would say that the rules are actually easier than, you know, D&D and Pathfinder and stuff like that. But what can still make it a bit to swallow, though, is the fact that Frag does a bunch of stuff that's just unique. There's just the stuff that other stuff that RPGs don't do. And so you kind of have to unlearn some habits a little bit in how it's structured things. And because it's also a classless system, it's pretty front-loaded. Um, so because you can make, you've got so many different options available to you right from the start. And sort of easing people in, I feel like I've done a much better job with second edition. It's it's pretty clean, uh, but there's it's very, very flexible system. It's very flexible, very powerful. And once people learn its core structure, like in how things work, and the core resolution system, which uses 3D6, and when you roll a six, you do something special, it, beca- it, it can get pretty easy, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that was, again, you know, reading the, the cyberpunk volume, it, it, I'm reading the rules and I'm going, man, it feels like there's a lot of stuff here. And then I get to the back and I look at the character sheet and I went, oh, wait, yeah, you fill this box, this box, this box. And so it's 3D6 plus, you know, a couple of ones, a two, and there you go. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the core resolution. So to explain the core resolution mechanics, I actually I find that with RPGs, the two, the two most important things to me with an RPG from a design perspective is the core resolution mechanic. When a player says, I want to do X, what do you do to determine whether they succeed or fail? And the second thing is the ease of use of the character sheet, because that's the thing that players are looking at all the time. It sits in front of them in the game. It, is that easy to use? So those are, those are sort of the, the two things I put a lot of attention into. Uh, should I just explain my core resolution mechanic? Would that be the best? Uh, that'd probably be, probably be good. I would imagine a lot of our listeners, other than maybe hearing the name mentioned, aren't very familiar with, with your, your game engine. So that would probably be good. Okay, so in Frag, um, you roll, for, for nearly every roll, you roll 3d6, so three dice, um, and you roll them and you add bonuses. So let's say you're trained in, in uh, medicine, so you might get a plus two bonus to it. Add that up. You're just looking for a target number, 12 or 14. Pretty simple. Um, if you succeed or fail by like four or more, the GMs are encouraged to add additional unexpected uh, consequences to the roll. Uh, the other thing that's really important, though, when you, roll that, when you make that roll, because it's a pretty simple one, is whenever you roll a six, that's called a strong hit, and you can do something special with that. So the default strong hit option is called effort, so you can, uh, which allows you to re-roll another die. But then let's say you're like in combat and you've got a flamethrower, you might spend that six to melt someone's armor or set them alight or something like that. You do something sort of funky. And so it adds these little sort of unexpected spikes and decision-making steps for the players and the GM when they're making their roll. Okay. Sounds in a weird way, a little bit like um, the age system from Green Ronin, but at the same time, not that much like it. Hmm. I'm not familiar with that system, so maybe I might have stumbled upon something similar. <laughs> well, it's they, they actually do a, a thing with... It, it, it doesn't work like yours does. They use... um They have a specific die that's called a stunt die, and then they also key off of rolling doubles. Ah, okay. But it's it's still their their core resolution is three d six, you know, 
Mm. I I really like my 3D6 system because it has this kind of this um it's like a bell curve of probability. And so it means that roles for players are very reliable. Um so like if you're trained in mechanics, you know you're going to succeed at most common mechanic roles. Whereas a D20 can be very swingy at times. Mm-hmm. Now, as as a designer, because you said you know your your primary background is in in graphic design layout and that. As far as game system design, are you like kind of a math nerd in, in some little <laughs> weird way, or do you just kind of know enough to figure out what you need to make it do? Um. So. I've, for my whole life, I've always liked game design. Um, like, so for example, if I ever play any computer game or a board game, the, my primary enjoyment has always been coming from understanding the mechanics and understanding. I, I really appreciate seeing these multiple systems come together and how do they work and how do they affect humans? Because I've also got a very keen interest in how people work and how people uh, understand and communicate. Graphic design is, in a sense, uh, all about communication. It's not primarily about illustration or making things pretty. It's primarily about communicating an idea and guiding people uh, mentally through steps. And so I, I've always had just interest in that. So I guess it's been sort of a, a, a lifelong interest in game design. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because, like, you know, in, in other designers we've talked to, uh, sometimes, you know, it's interesting because looking at a system from the surface, you go, man, the, the, the math behind this must be incredibly complex. And then you talk to the designer and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, it is, but I really didn't pay much attention to that. I just, what was, what seemed like it worked right. Yeah. See, this is, so this is the thing. So I think about that, like sort of intuitive game design, they would call that. So I think about if you were a like okay so writing so let's say you're writing a story and you write it out and you can kind of intuitively figure oh that word doesn't sound right or this sentence doesn't flow right and you can just sort of work on it work on it work on it through trial and error and eventually you get it all smooth but then let's say you're a writer but you're also really good at spelling grammar you understand you've got a good vocab um, that equips you with the tools to be able to get through that process not only a lot quicker but a lot more accurately i think my first edition of fragged empire i would say i primarily did it as an intuitive method uh it started off as this homebrew game that i worked on for many years and i kind of did what i thought was fun but i don't think i actually fully understood what i'd created at the time that i did first edition and so after over the last eight years since I've done my first uh, my first Kickstarter. I've done a bunch of different iterations of Fragged. I've done a fantasy one, gothic horror one, pirate, cyberpunk, diesel punk, and all these different sort of things, stretching and testing and massaging this rule system that I intuitively knew was working, but I kind of figured out where was the fun? Where were the rough edges? Why were people sort of finding this bit not intuitive, but then this bit really resonates with people? And I think that's a, so fragment my second edition is rule then culmination of the so many years of just running it and having a larger community where they all run it. I have giant play tests for this second edition that's been going for like a year and a half. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got a bit rambly there. This is a this this is the sort of stuff I've been thinking about every day for the last ten years. So, yeah, lo- lots of thoughts. 
No, no, that's cool. And that, it, for me, that's kind of half the fun, right? Is is finding out kind of you know what's behind your your game design theory and and mm. you know what what makes the designers tick, right? Because like you all have you know different goals and and you're trying to convey different you know different emotions, make people think about different things, you know, and and so it's just it's fascinating to me to hear the different kind of philosophies behind it all. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I and I do very much encourage people to like have it like the as a game designer, the more skills that you've got, the better the games you're going to design. So, for example, if you're really good at maths, visual communication, psychology, sort of uh, language, all of these different things can feed into your game design. And so, like even when I'm doing mine, like I draw graphs and I crunch things and I test probabilities of stuff because I'm trying to make that the underpinning skeleton make sure it works so it's robust. Because I want this game for people to be able to play for years and lots of di- play in lots of different ways, so it needs that robustness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, just to to kind of maybe I don't know transition a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, what what did you change between first and second edition because it doesn't appear at least from what i understand there's massive like there's not massive system revisions it feels more like tweaks and then according to the the kickstarter page it looks like you've further developed the lore and added some some new star systems and you know that kind of thing yeah so uh, the the underpinning skeleton of fragged is still the same like you're still rolling with 3d6 you use this you kind of got these spare time points that you spend on like your vocation for your character the way that you build characters with traits and no classes the way that you construct weapons like select a base weapon then select a template to put on it you know is this a laser rifle or a plasma rifle or a spine rifle or an ion rifle like that 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 sort of stuff is still there i think the biggest thing that I did for Fragged Empire Second Edition is really clean it up. Like it's so much cleaner than First Edition. I know I'm probably being overly hard on myself, or at least I've been told by other people in terms of that. Um, but I did feel like First Edition was very much cluttered, and so cleaning up a lot of that, getting a lot, making it a lot more intuitive and neater, and uh, then you sort of adding in some extra systems and things that I've kind of learnt over the years. So power to a skill roll. Uh, so I brought that this munition system where you can spend a munition point to add a dice to your attack roll. And that's based on a momentum system that I developed for back by my, my fantasy game. And I've got a much larger GM guide section, which first edition had very little GM and player advice. <laughs> it was really aimed at experienced role players. Like I didn't... I didn't, it was basically, if you don't know what an RPG is, you should not be playing Fragged First Edition, was kind of my attitude. <laughs> um, and in this new edition, I've done a much better job at explaining and sort of talking about the underpinning design philosophies. And one important thing was Fragged is a very, very flexible rule system that allows you to play many different genres. So if you wanted, you could play Star Trek exploration with a crew of a thousand people on your spaceship wandering around uh it could be space marines in big armor and giant daca bolt guns or it could be like detective noir where you only ever have a pistol for the entire campaign and 
the GM guide has rules for this. Like it tells you, okay, tweak these things, these dials, and you will end up with a different game, you know? Turn down the amount of spare point time points your players get, and all of a sudden, you're now making the game much harder, much more grittier, um, great for a survival horror, or, you know, wind up the influence, means you get bigger spaceships, you can have more like a grand space opera type of things, where maybe you're commanders of a giant fleet. And these dials, like, so I've done a much better job at explaining that. Um, yeah, so a lot of it, I would say, primarily cleaning up the rules is the big thing and explaining them. But this stuff, it makes a big difference to people. It makes the game so much more fun. Yeah, all those creature comforts are... They, I mean, and, and and adding things, seeing that you're adding things to to Fragged is fantastic. Um, much like Steve, I I actually read through Fragged Cyberpunk, and I really love that game. But I didn't get the first edition of Empire because, well, just due to time and money constraints, I didn't get a chance <laughs> to pick it up. But yeah. I'm I'm very excited to see that you're getting the second edition out. My question more has to do with. Are you ever going to put out just an art book? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where are you hiding your artists? Because they're yeah. amazing. <laughs> so I um it's two questions I get occasionally. One is people looking for an art book, and the second one is people looking for a novel. Um and I've actually had some some novels written for Fragged Empire, but I haven't bothered to do an art book. The primary thing is I don't think there's actually much of an interest for it. I think my books have so much art in them and they're so beautiful that they kind of are art books in and of themselves already. I feel like if I pulled the art out and just had the art, like page after page of that, I'm like, oh, you might as well just go to DeviantArt or Pinterest, like if you just want to consume excellent digital illustrations like that. Um, so one is... I don't think I'd be able to sell it that much, so it's probably not worth the effort. And two is, I do think there's a bit of the essence would be lost by removing them out of my books. So, <laughs> I hope that answers your question. I know it's, it's... that's fair. I I can respect that, and and I understand where you're coming from. Honestly, I know you'd sell at least one copy because I would buy it and throw it on every coffee table I have in my house. Uh, <laughs> Well, my, my hope is, so I'm doing, so the, my second edition, I've got two books, and we're probably going to stretch goal unlock a third book. But out of the two books, one's a rule book and one's my setting guide book. The setting guide book, like, even if you're not into RPGs or you just want a coffee table book, like, that's what I want that book to be so nice that it could just sit there and people could just flick through it and go, oh, wow, look at all this art or read the stories. They don't even need to play the system or even know what an RPG is to enjoy that book. Like, that's been a big goal of mine. Yeah. Okay. I, I um, hadn't picked up on that, that that was the goal of the setting guide book. Sometimes setting guide books have hidden mechanics in them, essentially. And so sort of hearing that it's it's aimed towards being stories and, and images from the world, that's that's really nice. Uh, that'll, yeah, that'll definitely yeah. go on the list to be in. The, the setting guide book is purely designed to, this is the way I've always sort of worded it, is to provide logs for the creative fire of other people's minds. And I view that as me as a game designer, as an RPG, specifically RPGs, when we create worlds, we're different to novelists, we're different to painters, 
our job is to fuel other people's creativity. And that's the setting guidebook is 100% that. It's just there for other people to get them thinking and excited and interested. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do have one, if you will, minor gripe with your Kickstarter, and that's that you don't have a tier that is effectively what you're calling your digital completionist tier plus the two physical books. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can, you can add um, all the previous ones as an add-on. <laughs> so if you, if, you, if, you do, if you do get both physical books, you can, you can do a little add-on and it'll give you all the digital ones. But uh, yeah, sorry that that's not quite clear. No, no, I, I, I figured there would be that in there. It was just like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at this going, well, I really want that. But I know these books are going to be pretty, so I want physical books. And <laughs> so, um, one thing I did notice too, it appears, are you printing in both uh, Europe, the U S and Australia or both all? No, no. So I'll, I'll just print over. I print over in China. I got a factory over there. Um, and what I've worked with ever since I started and they're excellent. They've always been super nice and very helpful. And then I ship to warehouses in the UK, the US, and here in Australia. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because I did notice that, like, you know, your projected shipping charges seem to be, you know, reasonable. I mean, especially considering modern everything. Yeah, I'm I'm trying very hard to keep my shipping prices down. Um, and if I'm completely open, I'm probably going to end up substituting those. Like, that's, I've basically made a bit cheaper for everyone. And I'm okay with that. I, I'm all right. I'm wanting to give people the best deal that I can. Yeah. Well, I, I can say, you know, as a consumer, I appreciate that. And I'm not going to call anyone out because the world shipping situation right now is um, less than pleasant, let's just say. Tricky. And, uh, <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I just had a, a game that I backed that the shipping came due and shipping came close to being as much as the cost of the hardcover book. Ooh. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, when I did get the quote from my, my factory, they did basically a giant big, this is an estimate of prices. <laughs> um, mm. we will, we will, you will not know the price until you basically print. So I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> so um, I've got one more kind of mechanical question, if you don't mind, and that being with, you've said it's a classless kind of, I'm assuming then more or less skill-based system. How do you uh, how do you handle advancement? Okay, so advancement in Frag is um, you basically advance in different ways. So the primary way is you okay. So let, let's just actually I'll take you through each of these. So in the system, you advance in multiple different paths. Okay, so let's say take leveling up. So by default, you level up every third session, and when you level up, you gain a trait. And so these traits, you can have one trait per attribute, per trained skill and stuff like that. And so let's say you're looking at, you know, mechanics traits. So you would go have a look at those and you've got a choice of, you know, 10 there to pick from. By selecting one of those traits, you are now, you are choosing to never have any of the other mechanics traits for the rest of the campaign. And these traits come in different flavors as well. So, um, so let's say you've got, in my book, I've, I've I sort of fleshed this out with icons about these different styles of play that people might have. Like, let's say you're a person who really into the narrative side of role-playing. 
Um, you might be a person who really likes simple rules, or let's say you're a bit of a maths person. You like a bit of a power game edge, so you're not coming up with weird combos that when you know everything lines up, you do something amazing. Or let's say you just like to do something really weird and strange. And so these traits have different icons attached to them to help people make a selection. And uh, what this means is you can have different types of players at the same table. So I can have the narrative player at the table and the power gamer at the table, and they're both selecting traits that alter the way that their characters work and their rules, how they interact with them, without negatively affecting the game experience of the other people at the table. The other advantage of this system of these building blocks is is by having that, that, that opportunity cost. Is you can actually have a party of soldiers or scientists or mechanics. You don't have to be perfectly spread out to cover all of the skills. And let's say you've got two people trained in medicine. One might take the pharmacist trait and one might take the surgeon trait. And they both will contribute to the game in, in their own special way without stepping on each other's toes. Um, so it's quite liberating in that in that way. So... That, I think, is actually one of the most powerful systems of Fragged. It's that progression system. We've got these, these traits, which are like big, chunky building blocks that you build your character. The other way that you progress is in influence and resources. So both of these are allocated, not spent. So let's say um, and resources is spent on personal combat equipment, guns, armor, and stuff. And influence is spent on your spaceship. And you get these, so you get uh, resources by collecting trade goods, which might include money. Um, and influence is by gaining networking units by like befriending NPCs. So let's say you go help a bunch of, you know, impoverished uh, frontier settlers. And rather than receiving payment, you might receive networking units for being friendly and helpful to them. And so you'll gain influence. So the game can actually reward that sort of decision. But but if you want, you say, okay, I might want, well, I want to get paid, so therefore you get money and you can turn that into resources. And the fourth way that you can progress is spare time points. Every session by default, you get one spare time point and these can be spent on MISC. This is like your healing rolls to heal yourself. This is like adding mods to your guns. This is doing little things, like the little miscellaneous little stuff that you might want to do. Uh, yeah, so those, those are the four different progression paths that you've got in frame. So it's not quite straightforward. There's a there's a there's a few there's a few bits there. Well, it seems original at the least, which I think <laughs> is actually kind of hard to do, actually, given the amount of stuff that's out there in the modern RPG scene. Mm. I have thoughts on that, but they're probably not accurate or good thoughts, so I won't share them because I'll put my <laughs> foot in it. <laughs> uh, it's all good. So. I I have a quick question. I see, mm -hmm. you know, I know with Fragged Cyberpunk, and it, it sort of seems like with Fragged Empire 2, you're, you're pushing more towards a, a minis type play, or are you theater of the mind? Can it do both? Is the system, you know, favoring one towards the other? Look, the system very openly um, does favor towards minis on a map. I think that if you, you could play it if you're an experienced gaming group without minis or tokens on a map. But I do think you would lose something because the system does try to have quite like that's quite tactical combat, like you know, like cover and you know stuff like that, and spaceship combat as well. 
It's like it's other whole different system where everybody takes, you know, command, engineering, operations, or gunnery, and it's like they're moving a. Uh, I, I like to describe it as it's like a submarines on on ice skates a little bit. The space combat is because um, you gotta like gotta manage the velocity of your ship. I do I do think that it, it is better played with that. Minor combats though in Fragged are encouraged to just be resolved with simple skill rolls. The GM has said. Get your players, if the consequences of a combat are guaranteed and are not likely to be particularly dangerous, GMs are encouraged, don't put minis down, just have your players roll dice and suffer some damage if they do a bad roll and they get this many successes and then they win. Okay, so you're you're more pushing towards major combats, meaning like space combat is what you're pushing towards to have minis with and then... Anytime that your players are sort of just running around and doing a little bit of running and gunning, that's maybe pushed more towards a, a, the idea of of just roll dice rather than actually flopping minis down on a table. Yeah, just having a bar fight or you're just, you know, shooting at some um, security guards as you're running away, just roll dice. But if you're having, you know, a, uh, an important fight, like maybe a bunch of giant death robots of rising up from the ground or, you know, some sort of psionic ghost from the past is trying to eat your brains. Get your get your, get your little battle map out. Put your guys down. Use cover. Work together as a team. Um, it's kind of XCOM-y styled combat is the way that I I usually like to expl- describe it. Okay, I got you. I got you. Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's a really cool way of doing that. Now, with that being said, just because well, one pandemic conditions seem to be improving currently but you know we've seen that before but you know also with just indie games in general you see a lot more online play Mm. do you have you know roll 20 support or any of the other vtt's out there are there any of them that you know in in your experience or the feedback you're getting seem to to have particularly good setups for fragged so in the last couple of years i've been using roll 20 for my gaming group and I found that pretty pretty straightforward. I don't have any modules or plugins for that. Unfortunately, look, I'll just say it. I haven't found the Roll Twenty staff particularly helpful. I don't. I don't think they are big enough for them to gain enough interest in me. Um, but a large number of people in my community are actually really interested in Foundry. Now, I haven't personally used Foundry, but um, my communities actually, and I've been helping them. Uh, have been building a first edition and a fragged kingdom uh, full set of plugins uh, or modules for Foundry. And the goal is that if we can get one of those, especially the fragged kingdom one, up to a point where I feel like it's really good and it's well received by the community, I'll be looking to do a fragged empire second edition bunch of systems for Foundry. Okay. Just felt that was, you know, again, given everything that was worth bringing up at least yeah yeah no no very reasonable request i i think online everyone is so much more aware of online gaming these days for obvious reasons yeah yeah i mean look i'll be completely honest i i have gotten to the point where i like playing online but i would still much rather sit down around the table and you know (laughs) be able to throw dice at people that annoy me and you know that kind of thing (laughs) mostly me most (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's usually i nick i usually end up sitting next to him and he usually throws a dice at me 
<laughs> At least not the big one, though. I quit throwing that one. Yeah, you quit throwing the big one. <laughs> I have a D6 that's like an inch and a half cube. Wow. I, I I remember back when I was growing up, a friend of mine had one of those D100s. Oh, oh yeah. nice. The golf balls. It was basically like a, yeah, like a giant golf ball. But I thought it was really clever with how it worked, actually. It was a clear plastic, and the die was inside it with water. And there was a small, there was a little air pocket, which made a bubble at the top. And so when you rolled it, the air bubble actually highlighted the number that was actually rolled. I thought that was pretty clever. (laughs) That is neat. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, I haven't seen that style. The style that... I haven't seen that style in a long time. I used to see those a while ago, but I haven't seen one like that in, oh, geez, quite a while. <laughs> the one I remember was more like a like a golf ball with 100 dimples on it. Ah, uh, yes, I've seen those ones too. <laughs> Speaking of dice, you have worked with Q Workshops to make some really awesome dice for this game. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, I've got a bunch of different dice. I've got dice for my first edition my gothic horror Fragged Eternum and my fantasy Fragged Kingdom. And I'm doing some new ones for this second edition. I, uh, oddly enough, though, I'm actually keeping the same design as my first edition. Um, I'm altering the colours around, though. So rather than black on white, these ones are white on a starry blue. And <laughs> the reason why I'm keeping the same design is I think it's perfect. <laughs> I, I could not think of a way to improve it. So I'm keeping the exact same design. Well, I definitely agree with that it's perfect because for a cool D6, these are actually really readable. Um, mm. <laughs> my my complaint is, and I've, I've had this complaint before, that sometimes people get really fancy with their dice and then you can't read them. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah, that is that. And, and that's it, it's annoying because like and there's some <laughs> of them. Steve and I have had this conversation a number of times, at least in private, if not on the show. But like, it's one thing if maybe you can't read somebody else's die from across the table. It's another thing when it's your own die and you roll it, and then you got to pick it up and look at it and be like, "Well, is that a a, a six or a, a one or a seven or what?" <laughs> Well, I also like to say I, I enjoy that the the one is the fragged F. Because that's usually what I yell when that comes up on the dice. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say that. I, I did kind of this little subconscious thing when a bunch of Fs turn up on your die. It's just kind of like, feels like you've been sworn at by the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to have, I used to have dice that swore at me. <laughs> I don't know where they ended up at, but I used to have them. Um, <laughs> well, with that, do you want to talk maybe a little bit about your pledge levels? Just so, you know, if people are interested, they, they have an idea what they're they're looking at? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is all in Australian dollars. So if you're from America, this will be, a, you know, knock another 25% off this, I think it is. So you can get any a digital copy of one of my books for $25 or both of them plus a bunch of extra stuff for 40 And those extras are, you know, a couple of adventures, an archetype supplement, a reference supplement, and a bunch of uh, virtual tabletop maps from uh, Miska. Uh, $95 for one of the physical books and you get all the extra PDFs and the maps with those as well or you can get both physical books for $150 and again this is like that's what is that like 110 US dollars yep 
um, for both of those. Uh, and yeah, then I've got some other higher tier pledge levels. Um, so I've got like a, an option there if you're a retailer or if you want your know, super fancy name in the book option or if you want to just get all of my first edition and second edition PDFs, like a big giant digital bundle as well. Well, that's that's really cool. And uh, shipping to most of the world, I did notice there's a few countries that are listed in the Kickstarter that you aren't shipping to, but you cover most of the major ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So postage to uh, America, Australia, or the UK is 20 Australian dollars or 14 US dollars, 11 British pounds. Uh, Canada, New Zealand, and the EU is 30 Australian dollars or 19 euro. The rest of the world is 45 Australian dollars or 32 US dollars. And I've I've tried to... I'm, yeah, as we talked about before, I, I'm pretty much substituting a little bit of that postage cost, but that's okay. I don't mind that at all. Uh, I think living in Australia, I'm used to giant postage costs on things, so I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a pet thing of mine to like wanting to try and make it as accessible as I can, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think that's that's cool, and yeah, I mean, because yeah, we have some some friends that are, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and yeah, the the horror stories of what they have to pay for shipping on a regular basis, much less currently, is mm, yeah. So, um, boy, anything else you want to tell us about about Frag? Uh, you know, Ooh. as we get ready to wind things down, maybe a little bit. I I think if you're looking for something that's really original and fresh and deep, deep lore, deep rules, but um, is just a pleasure to look at and read and. I've tried to make the rules as accessible as I can. I think they're pretty good. I think Frag could be a good a good fit for you. Cool. So with all that having been said, aside from you know searching Fragged Empire on Kickstarter, uh, whereabouts can, can people go to look for Fragged and you and the rest of your stuff and, and all that fun stuff, you know, your community? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on I'm on social media, so Facebook is just, you know, look for Fragged Empire. Um, I'm on, on Twitter as well. I, I've even started an Instagram. <laughs> uh, but you can also just go to my, my website, fragdempire.com as well. Okay. Well, that's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to get in on, on backing this at some level. It's just an issue of I've got to figure out what I can actually afford to spend on games, not what I want to spend on them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want all the games. Uh, <laughs> But uh, what about you, Steve? Do you have anything more to ask here? I yeah, I think we answered all my questions. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> that's all I got. All right. Well, then uh, I believe I mentioned to you this. We were messaging before before, but uh, at this point, I think it's time for game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. So. Just to give you a little rundown, I know Steve had said he would mention this a little bit before. Little, I guess you could call it game we play weekly here. Uh, we pick a, a tabletop RPG that we've either seen, had on our radar, played, heard about, uh, anything along those lines. And just give it a little shout out for the week as a way to get people sort of aware of all the different games out there. Yeah, if you'd like to, to kind of join in. Sure, sure. I've got one in mind. I'm happy to go. Uh, so I've actually got a shout out to another Aussie indie RPG guy. Okay. Um, and his game is called Parslings. So P A R S E L I N G S. So 
Uh, it's just a really, really beautiful little RPG, I think. Um, if you're looking for something to do with collaborative, you know, word magic and cool tattoos and just weird vibey sort of art, I think, uh, yeah, that's well worth checking out. Okay. That does oh, sound Oh, wow. That's neat. awesome. Yeah, I like this. We're, I must, oh, that's why I can't find it. I can't spell. Do you want me to, <laughs> here. No, I just you. found it. Okay. I, I, my, my two hands full of thumbs missed the E. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. That's cool. I like that. It's it's definitely you're right. It definitely has a vibe to it. It's it's very yeah. Oh, that their artwork is so like it looked like the sort of stuff from like some sort of cool indie music. You know, I could see this is like album cover art or something. It's it's yeah, really it's, nice. It's kind of got like Jet Set Radio vibes and mm. yeah, yeah. I like that. I dig that. I can get behind that. Well. Yeah. I, I think since we're since we're talking about games with vibes, I think I'll go next. Okay. <laughs> I picked a game, so I'm sort of a uh, I'm I'm sort of a weird movie fan. So I picked a game called Blurred Lines, and it is a Giallo detective solo. Uh, it's a solo RPG hmm. based around like the Giallo horror movies. So sort of that like serial killers and 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 stuff like that uses a D10 and a deck of cards. And a map of a real city of your choice. Uh-huh. And it's it's a solo RPG, so you know, play that by yourself. But it it has this very like 60s, 70s, you know, like I said, the sort of Italian horror movie vibe. And it, it's really cool. I I I I I sort of saw it today and I was like, that's awesome. So um digital versions 15 bucks. And then on March 10th, the physical version, which comes out, is going to be $5. So very cool. Yeah. Looks like this just dropped, like, literally, like, two days ago. Two days ago, yes. Yep. Oh, this is this is neat. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's it's And it's got a really cool page layout. Yeah, just something neat. And I sort of like the, I like the movie posters that are, like, they look like they're wrinkled up in the book. And, yeah, it's just got a really neat cool vibe to it yes what do you got steve well i was tumbling around on drive through before we started recording and i found a game that i think in a strange way sort of shares some themes with frag and that is a game called highcaster from gallant knight games and the, the pitch is kind of you know it's there's no stars in the sky since the world civilization has collapsed into tiny pockets of society separate separated by wilderness, overcome with decay and corruption. But in this darkness, there is hope. And this game is about creating legends. It's the story of civilization coming back from the ashes. You know, based on the cover art, it looks a bit fantasy-ish. But uh, yeah, it's, it's designed to create, you know, basically big, big stories to create the legends that a, that a, another world is built on and um you know it says they do use a d20 based system for most things but looks like it's got a lot of options uh seven cultures nine heritages you know character paths uh comes with rules for solo play as well um hmm. says also conversion rules so you can you can use the caster system on any fantasy rpg model setting or adventure path so there you go and an srd so lots of world building tools and tables. 
this looks like it might be something worth, you know, just having in the collection to use as a tool, you know, even if you don't play it itself. But that's, again, that's called Highcaster. Yeah, very cool. Hmm. Well, with all that being said, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Wade. It was really awesome. Mm -hmm. You do put out an amazing product and very excited to hear that, you know, you're 200% funded and it hasn't even been up but a couple days. So Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice chatting. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to come chat with us. And uh, hopefully we can help a few more people discover Fragged and, and the fun that can be had with it. Yeah. Well... We want to thank everyone for listening and remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. The, the one of the ways that people think is oh sorry I restart blah 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 words I do words good um <laughs> not like you write for a living or anything <laughs> I know I'm I'm playing in Kickstarter fuzzy brain at the moment <laughs> um oh <laughs> yep we're we're very off the cuff very uh almost haphazard in a way that's <laughs> no, cool it's got a, a very cash vibe to it it's nice. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's that's the point. <laughs> it, it literally, you know, the podcast originated with us literally standing in the parking lot for hours after gaming, talking to each other, and then we're like, "Well, why don't we just get a couple of microphones?" <laughs> nice, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much, guys. I hope you have a good uh, rest of the day. I'm not sure what time it is for you guys at the moment. Yeah, quarter to nine in the evening, actually.